in a lot of ways, each one of us are the architect of our own fate. Choices we make, they really, in a lot of ways, determine our destiny. And we all make hundreds or thousands of choices every day. And none of those choices are made in a vacuum. What I mean is that no choice, no decision is made in isolation. Every choice we make has a lasting consequence or a lasting effect on our lives. But the choice to hit snooze one or two extra times in the morning can cause us to run late the entire day. Our choice of food can have an effect on our overall health. The choice we make for our jobs can determine whether our days are pleasurable or miserable. And the reason I think this is such an important concept for us to grasp is because we do live in a blame culture. In the world in which we live, very little is ever actually our fault. There is always someone else to blame for anything that ever goes wrong in our lives. right? And you add that to a, a sense of entitlement, and what you find are, are really a culture filled with people that, that feel entitled to have the results they want regardless of what choices they make. And when we don't get the results we want, regardless of what choices we've made, we blame someone else. Or, or perhaps we even blame God for having failed us in life. When in reality the choice or the fault is ours for the poor choices that we've made. But every choice that we make, it has a resulting consequence. Who and what we are today as a result of choices we've made in the past. Who and what we will be in the future depends on the choices that we make between now and then. Every choice has a resulting consequence. And the choices I make determine the results I receive. But again, what we want to do is we want to make one choice but have a different result. I mean, we all want to eat pizza and donuts and yet lose weight and be in shape. Right? We want to choose to, to piddle around uh, and the result be that we're productive and effective. We want to choose to watch TV or run around instead of do our homework and the result be that we make good grades. We want to choose to do our own thing and the result be that we have a close and an abiding relationship with Jesus. But the world just doesn't work this way. Our choices determine the results that we receive. A part of life is making choices. A part of being a responsible, mature adult is making choices. And a part of being a disciple of Jesus is making choices. Specifically, choices that draw us closer to Jesus. And as we seek to make choices, we have to choose wisely. Open your Bible today to see some of the choices that we have to make. Open your Bible to Matthew 6, verse 19 is where we're going to start. It's page 737 if you have a pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Matthew 6 and 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The title of the message this morning is Choose Wisely. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you. We praise you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for this time that we have today to look at your word, to worship you in song, and just to be together with you. Oh Lord, in this time we need you to guide us. We need you to help us to understand what you have for us from your word. Father, the message that Jesus gave here is challenging. It always was, and it's just as much so today. And Lord, apart from your help, we will not receive it. We will not embrace it, and we will not live it out. Apart from your Spirit taking this and applying it to our hearts, Father, we will reject it. We will resist it. We will push back. And then sadly... When those decisions result in our not having a thriving relationship with you, we will conclude that there's something wrong with Christianity. We'll conclude that the Bible is not right. We'll make up all of these reasons, Father, why it's not our fault that we have not experienced Jesus and we are not close to Him as at one point we longed to be. Father, today send your Holy Spirit to overcome our flesh, to overcome our Natural, rebellious wiring that wants to push back and resist and reject your word. God, let your Holy Spirit take the word and make it sharp. That it would sink deep into our hearts and bring forth fruit in our lives. That we would make decisions. Draw us closer to Jesus. That that follow him in our thoughts and our attitudes, our priorities, our actions and our reactions. Fill me today with your spirit. Give me clarity of thought clarity of speech. Don't let me be a hindrance in any way to what you want to accomplish in all of our lives. Have your way completely in every aspect we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In this passage, Jesus lays out two main choices that we all have to make. And as he explains these choices, he he leaves it to us to determine what choice we will actually make. And don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Jesus doesn't act as though all choices are equally good because they aren't. He clearly shows us what is the best choice and what choice we ought to make. He also shows us the consequences of each choice, but He does leave it to us. Right? He is not going to force us to be fully devoted disciples. He is not going to force us To be close to Him. He is going to show us the path of life. He is going to show us the path that is right. And then He is going to say, Choose you this day who you will serve. And the choices we make, they're going to determine the results that that we receive. And one of the consequences of the choices that are set before us is in our devotion to Jesus. One of the choices that we make draws us deeper in our relationship with Jesus, draws us to a place where we love Him more, we experience Him more, and our devotion to Him is greater. The other choice that we make will push us away from Jesus. 
It will cause our hearts to grow lukewarm and eventually cold in its love and its devotion to Jesus. It will cause our lives to drift from the narrow way that leads to life and it will eventually push us all the way away from Jesus. Some choices that we can make actually prevent us from being able to follow Jesus. And and that's really kind of the key idea that we have to get. Is that my choices determine my devotion to Jesus. My choices determine my devotion to Jesus. And and I want to emphasize my choices, your choices, your devotion, my devotion. Because ultimately, you are responsible for your relationship with Jesus. If you are not close to Jesus, it is nobody's fault but your own. If I am not close to Jesus, it is nobody's fault but my own. So this is a, a responsibility. My decisions, my choices. They determine my relationship with Jesus. Jesus gives us two choices we have to make. First is choose my treasure. We choose what we treasure on this earth. Jesus says in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth, and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Now, let me explain what this is not saying. This is not a call to a monastic vow of poverty kind of a lifestyle. This is not a condemnation of a savings account or a retirement account or a rainy day account. This is not a, a condemnation about being rich. But none of that is really the ultimate matter. Right, Because like in Proverbs, it speaks wisely uh, about planning ahead. In the Bible, there are godly rich people and there are ungodly rich people. In the Bible, there are godly people who are poor. And in the Bible, there are ungodly people who are poor. Never was poverty or riches or money or stuff ever really the issue in anything that Jesus or the Bible talked about. Always, it was the issue of the heart. What do we prioritize? What is the treasure of our lives? That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's not saying don't save for the future. He's not saying don't plan. He's not saying don't have a retirement account. What he's saying is don't make that stuff the focus of your life. Don't make the accumulation of earthly treasures the main focus of our lives and the main desire of our hearts. That's what he's talking about when he says not to lay up treasures on earth. Don't make the accumulation of earthly treasures the focus and priority of your life. Now, treasure is a broad word. Does it mean money or does it mean stuff or does it mean position or does it mean popularity? Really, I think the answer to that is is yes. Like it speaks to all of those things. This verse isn't narrowly defined for those who would be considered rich. 
This is a verse that speaks to all people in all places at all time because all people treasure something. And what we treasure, it is either earthly or it is heavenly. It is either of this world or it is of the world to come. And the warning is not to make earthly things your treasures. Now part of what makes this difficult is that earthly treasures don't have to be sinful treasures. Right? It doesn't have to be things that are inherently sinful. Right? Earthly or worldly treasures, it could be things like money. Or a hobby, or a family, or comfort, or possessions, or pleasure, or power, or position. Right now, none of those things are inherently sinful and wrong. In fact, those things are largely good things. And many of them are things that we really kind of actually have to have in life to survive. So the point is, isn't don't be a, become a monk. Sell all that you have, go live in a monk and wear burlap sacks. And, and that's what it means to, to not have treasure, make your, the earthly things your treasure. The problem isn't with the stuff that we have. The problem isn't when we get more stuff. The problem is when we take these things that are good things and we turn them into ultimate things. Right? Money is neither good nor bad. But the love of money is at the root of all kinds of evil. Family is good, but family as an idol destroys my family, my devotion to Jesus, and my relationship with the Lord. Right? In all of these things, it's not the thing itself that's the problem. It is the focus, the devotion that we give to it. But it does bring up a question, I think, why? Why should we not make earthly treasures, earthly things, our treasure? As long as they're not sinful, why should it matter? Right? Jesus gives us a couple of reasons. First is in verse 20. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. That's being contrasted with earthly treasures, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves do break in and steal. Now, so one of the reasons we don't make earthly things our treasure is because they are Temporary. But they are all going to rot and rust or be used up or be stolen. All kinds of things can happen to our earthly treasures. They simply do not last. People can take them from us. They will wear out or they will be used up. And this is not a, a, not a matter of if, but when. Right? When will they wear out? When will they lose their value? When will I lose them? When will someone take it away? When? It is guaranteed that at some point it will lose its value either in the world or to me. Right? And that is contrasted with heavenly treasures that moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Heavenly treasures cannot be lost. Heavenly treasures do not wear out. Heavenly treasures are eternal and significant. But in the Bible, I think it speaks of basically two kinds of heavenly treasures. There are heavenly rewards. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if anyone builds on this foundation, the foundation of Jesus with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, 
yet as though through fire. So when we focus on the eternal things, we build with gold, silver, and precious stones. And on that day of judgment, when all of our stuff is tested by fire, that stuff will remain and it will be eternal. It will be things that we take into heaven with us. Eternally significant. Right? But there's also heavenly inheritance. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Now those verses, those words are important. Incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven, and you could add just for you. So earthly treasures... Earthly treasures, moth and rust can destroy, thieves can break in and steal, they will lose their value, they will wear out, they will break. Heavenly inheritance, what we have in Christ and from Christ, it is incorruptible, it will never wear out, it is undefiled, it is always right, it is reserved in heaven just for you. No one can take it. Jesus will never take it from you and give it to someone else. It is yours and it is yours forever. So we, we choose... Heavenly treasures over earthly treasures because heavenly treasures are eternal where earthly treasures are temporary. We also choose heavenly treasures because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, when we treasure earthly things, we pursue earthly things. And we pursue them at the expense of everything, even our relationship With Jesus. Where our heart is. Where our treasure is. Is where our heart is. Where our treasure is. Is what we're going to pursue. That's what we're going to chase after. In our lives. If I treasure earthly things. Then my heart will always be set. On those earthly things. And the priority of my life. Will be the accumulation of these earthly things. Whatever they are. If I treasure heavenly things, then my heart will be towards the heavenly things. And the priority of my life will be my faith, my devotion, and my service to Jesus. Now Jesus gets even more clear about verse 21 in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now that's a... That's a pretty straightforward verse. About as straightforward as any verse in the Bible can get. Because Jesus doesn't say you shouldn't serve two masters. And He doesn't say it'll be hard to serve two masters. He says you cannot serve two masters. Not only can you not serve two masters, but you will end up being devoted to one and you will end up hating the other. Right, So really the choice of what masters us, of what our treasure is, it will determine an awful lot about our lives. If we choose earthly things, not only will it cause that to be our treasure and cause us to pursue that, we will grow eventually to despise heavenly things. It will turn our hearts and our lives from Jesus. We cannot pursue the world and Christ At the same time. It has to be one or the other. And if Jesus is not the supreme 
trust, love, and object of our devotion, something else will be. And if Jesus cannot be the supreme object of our love, devotion, service, and trust, then really what Jesus is saying is He won't have any of it. But Jesus, Jesus doesn't want to be person in our life that we give the whatevers to. Right? Have you ever been the, the whatever friend? Right? The whatever friend is they, the people that are your friends. You think they're your friends. But they have all of these other people and, and they're always going to do stuff with them and they're always the priority. But if, if there's nothing they can do with them, then whatever you want to do, I guess, will be okay. Right? You're the leftover. You're not the priority this person is. right? You're not the center. You're not the main friend. And if there's nothing over here that they want to do and nothing where they're around, then okay, I guess I'll give you some time. Jesus isn't that guy. He is not that friend. He is not going to be the person in our life that we give our leftovers to and Him get all giddy. Oh, at least they thought of me. Hooray! Scripture teaches that Jesus actually despises that sort of thing. I mean, read like Malachi 1 about the sacrifices we offer and read that in light of Romans 12 1 about being a living sacrifice. Jesus calls that despicable. He says He despises it. He won't accept our leftovers. Either He's first or He's nothing because He won't be the side friend. It's just not the way He works. So what do we, how do we know where our treasure is? How do we know where our heart is? Because it's easy to deceive ourselves. We are easily self-deceived as human beings. I think there are three questions we could ask that would give us an idea. What do I think about? I, I, I mean, in, in the moments when you aren't actively doing something, you're just kind of driving down the road with the radio off in silence, thinking. Where does your mind go? What do your thoughts reveal about where your treasure is? What do I talk about? Jesus says that where our treasure is, our heart will be also. But He also says in Matthew 12, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what we talk about reveals our treasure. So what do your words say your treasure is? And then what do I do? And we all have time in the day that is spoken for about various things that must be done in life. But we also have time that isn't spoken for by the things that must be done. What do we do in those times? Or think about it in terms of our gifts and abilities that are given to us by God. God has given us these gifts and abilities to be used for His glory, the advancement of His kingdom. How do we use them? How are we using the gifts that He has given us? What do your actions reveal about what has your heart? Now, I want to be careful here. Right? Because it's easy to turn those three questions into a form of legalism. Right? If, you, if, if your mind isn't 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, if it's not on Scripture and Jesus and the things of God, clearly you don't treasure Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. Right? If you don't talk about Jesus, every word out of your mouth, every other word isn't praise the Lord or thank you Jesus, then you don't treasure Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. If your every action isn't to somehow serve Jesus and doing something or share the gospel, 
You don't treasure Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. No one can think about Jesus and things of God 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. When Billy Graham was at the end of his life, he didn't think about that 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. I mean, that's just not the reality is that we have jobs that requires time, that requires us to think, that requires us to talk. So don't think about it like that. I'm not trying to assign a percentage. Well, is it 50%? Is it 40%? What I'm trying to do is just get you to think. Where do our thoughts go in those moments where we don't have to think about something that needs to be done? If we just have a a conversation with someone, not a work conversation, not a business conversation, just we sit down and we strike up a conversation. Where do our words go? What do we do? Again, not in work, but in those times where I'm I can do whatever I want to do. What do I do? And what do my thoughts and then what do my words and what do my actions reveal about what has my heart? These are important questions for us as disciples of Jesus to think through. Right? And, and answer honestly to ourselves. But in our time to sit down and work through these and just go back because I know what I talk about. I know what I think about. I know what I do. So I can go back and I could look at that and I can look. Wow, that's good. Or that's it's not so good. We all have that ability. Take it seriously and do it. We choose our treasure. We choose our own treasure. And whatever we choose as our treasure, it absolutely determines our devotion to Jesus. So we choose our treasure, then we also have to choose my foundation for the truth. Verse 22 and 23 are difficult, I think. This is the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore the eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is, in, is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, in our culture, this is really basically almost meaningless. Because we don't think about the eyes in, in the ways that they did in the Jewish culture. But in their Jewish culture, in a lot of ways, the eyes were seen kind of, as you've heard the phrase, as the windows to the soul. That really was a lot of the way... That they saw that. And, and part of what that meant for them. Was that what went in through your eyes. Is what determined kind of what you thought about. And what you. And what determined a lot of ways who you are. Right. So like in Proverbs it says as a man thinks in his heart so he is. That the thought is the important part there. You look at it. You think on it. And that becomes. Who you are, what you think about, what you meditate on, what you let in your mind. And from the best I can tell, the idea is what we embrace as truth. Right? Because I can read a fiction book, and as long as I think of it as fiction, it doesn't affect my life. It's just a story. I can watch a, a movie that I know is fiction, and I don't take anything more about it. 
I mean, you know, we, we watch the Avengers. Nobody expects the Avengers to come save us because we don't embrace that as truth. But if we watch something and we read something and it goes into our mind and we begin to say this is what truth is, this is what right is, this is what wrong is, what happens? It shapes our life, doesn't it? It, it determines how we live, how we act, how we speak, how we think, what we value, what we prioritize, how we react to issues that come into our lives. So Jesus gives us a contrast between light and darkness. Now light would be scripture. And darkness would be essentially anything else. Particularly the things of the world. So as a foundation for truth, we have a choice. We can choose scripture as the foundation for what's right and true. Or we can choose something else. And what we choose will have a significant impact on the people we become. One choice leaves us full of light. One choice leaves us full of darkness. Now there are several reasons that we could look at from Scripture that would show us why Scripture is the foundation, but there's only one that we have time for this morning, and I think it's the most important one. And ultimately it's that Scripture points us to Jesus. Right? Scripture is ultimately about Jesus. Right? Paul wrote to Timothy and said, From a child you had known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, the reason I chose this verse, because Jesus talks about this in the Gospel of John 2, but the reason I chose this verse in particular is because at the time Timothy was taught Scripture, he was not taught the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He wasn't taught the book of Romans or the book of Galatians or the book of Ephesians. When Timothy was a child, he was taught Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, on and on and on. He taught was taught the Old Testament and that brought him to Jesus. Right? And, and the reason I want that, that, that to be seen as important is because ultimately all the Bible will point us to Jesus. Whether we look in the Old or the New Testament. But Scripture points us to Jesus and when we come to Jesus, He fills us with His light. In Him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of men. If we want our lives to be filled with light, Scripture must be the foundation of our truth and we must follow Scripture to Jesus as it's intended to lead us. Now, Scripture as the foundation for our life is important in our day. Because there is a growing movement in our day among people who are professing Christians who want to undermine the authority of Scripture. And the way I've heard the argument, it goes something like this. Well, I have a living relationship with Jesus, so I don't need the rules that would come from a book. And there's probably other ways that it's worded, but those are the most common ones that I have heard. But what it always carries with it, regardless of how it's worded, is I know Jesus and I have this living relationship with him, so I don't need I don't need a book. I don't need this at all. As long as I have Jesus, 
I have everything that I need, and I really don't need a Bible. Now, that sounds really like super spiritual, doesn't it? And how do you even argue with that? How do you say, no, no, you need more than Jesus? That's, that just sounds heretical to even utter it. And yet, while I would be very hesitant to say Jesus isn't enough and we need more than Jesus, if that's your mindset, that you have Jesus so you don't need a book, I would just ask you some questions, right? So, how do we know Jesus? Well, that's a big question. How do we know Jesus? We know Jesus by faith. And faith comes by hearing Scripture. Not only that, but Scripture teaches us that there, there are, there have been, there are, and there will be false Christs who rise up. People who claim to be Jesus. Right? I read an article this week about a guy in some other country who is... He claims to be the, the incarnate Christ on earth today. He has a huge, massive, enormous following. Right now, I mean, we're not talking, you know, that's an end times thing you think about, the false Christ that arise. But right now, somewhere today, there is a dude preaching, claiming to be Jesus. How do we know? How am I going to know if this dude is Jesus or if he's demon-possessed, or if he's bipolar, or if he's crazy. How do I know? How am I going to test anything he says and say that's right or that's not without Scripture? Scripture also teaches us that Satan can masquerade as an angel of light. I mean, Satan, when, when he comes, he doesn't have to say, I'm the devil, come let me fill your mind with lies. He can say, I'm Michael, the archangel. Right? I'm whoever. Again, there's a, a guy that preached a big revival down in Florida. And all of his messages came from an angel. Not, not, not the Bible. I don't even think the videos I saw, he didn't even carry one. An angel told him what to say and then he came and preached it. The angel brought the message from the Lord. How do you know? How do you know if it's really an angel from God or Satan masquerading as an angel? Scripture also teaches that there are deceiving spirits that will teach doctrines of demons. Right? And that's a part of deception. So it's not like they're coming and saying, we're demons. This is evil. This is contrary to Jesus. Instead, it's, this is a new revelation. This is something nobody else knows. This is a lost epistle or a lost gospel. How do we know? How are we going to know? Whether it's doctrines of demons or doctrines of Christ. Without scripture. Now certainly we know Jesus through experience. He speaks, he leads, he guides, he does all of those things. And I would never undermine that. But our experiences are always meant to be tempered with scripture. So anything that claims to be from Jesus, it has to be tested somehow because we're told not to believe all the spirits, but to test them. And without the Bible, what am I testing them by? Certainly not my heart that is deceitfully wicked. Certainly not my desires, which are not always in line with what is right and true and good and pure. 
Surely there has to be something bigger than me. Something that is solid and absolute that is a, a standard I can say, by this I know the truth. There is. It's scripture. And whether I embrace it as that or not determines an awful lot about my life. But another question about that is, what did Jesus say? I think this is, this is huge. If Jesus is, is all that I need, then when, when light of that, what did Jesus himself say should be the foundation for our life? Look over at Matthew 7, verse 24. We'll talk about this in a few weeks. Matthew 7, 24. Jesus, right? Not me, not Paul. Jesus. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall for it was founded upon the rock. For everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. So what did Jesus say is the foundation we're to build our life on? His word. In fact, in, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus teaches that idea again. And he prefaces it by saying, why do you call me Lord if you're not going to do the things that I've said? According to Jesus, it is foolish and futile to claim to be his, but reject the word. Jesus intended that the word would be the foundation of our lives. And then a third question is, is the Bible just a book? And I don't need a book for my relationship with Jesus. Is it, is it no different than a book you're going to buy at Walmart written by whoever? Is it just another book? Now, Scripture says it's not. Scripture says the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing. Even the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discern the thoughts and the intents of the heart. But that's the testimony that Scripture has about itself. But that's a testimony we would all give as well. There are times when we have read Scripture and it has convicted us. It has shown us that our beliefs were wrong. It has shown us that our thoughts were wrong. It has shown us that our lives were wrong. And can I say that I believe, by and large, that is the reason that people do not want to, re want to embrace Scripture as the foundation, not because they have some higher revelation, not because they say, well, I have this special relationship with Jesus, but because Scripture tells them to do things they don't want to do. Scripture tells them not to do things they do want to do. Scripture tells them to believe things that their friends don't believe. Scripture reads us. It challenges us. It changes us. It's not just a book. It's not like any other book in the world. And when we choose Scripture as the foundation of our lives, our whole body will be our eyes good, our foundation is right, and our whole body is full of light. 
But what happens if we veer from that? But if your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. And if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now that's an interesting phrase. If the light that is in us is darkness, how great is that darkness? This is the idea of being deceived. It's a person who thinks they have the right foundation for their life. That's chosen from the other scripture. Thinks they have the right foundation of their life. And they think that they're right. And they think therefore that their life is filled filled with light. But in reality, their life is filled with darkness. They think they're on the narrow path, but they're on the broad path. They think they're on the path to life. But in reality, they're on the path to destruction. And they'll say, well, this just feels right. Scripture warns us about that. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. I mean, did you know that not everything we feel is necessarily right? Just because I feel it, no matter how deeply I feel it, that doesn't make it right. We go to my mom and dad's house, there's a stop in Asher, Oklahoma. And everything in me feels that I'm supposed to turn left. But if I turn left, I go to Shawnee and not pick it. I have to turn right if I want to go there. Just because I feel that left is the right way to go, doesn't change the fact that right is the right way to go. A person that's wrong, but deceived into believing they're right, they are far more difficult to reach. Far more Difficult to convince them that they're wrong than someone who just says, I know I'm wrong, but I don't care. Or someone who says, I, I, I don't know what the right answer is. And there are lots of examples of people who have the wrong foundation and think that their life is filled with light when it's really filled with darkness. But I'm just going to give you one this time. Initially, I had like three or four. Just one, I think it's the one that's most common in the modern American church. And it's the issue of what James talks about, of faith without works being dead. James says that there are some people who profess Jesus with their mouth, but they really don't live for Jesus in any noticeable way. They're quick to affirm their faith, and they usually have good reasons why it's okay that they don't live for Jesus. But James has something hard to say. James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have work? Can that kind of faith save him? But if someone says, I believe in Jesus, but does not live for Jesus, are they saved? Are they filled with light? Is that okay? Does that faith save them? James says the answer is, is no. No, the kind of faith that doesn't impact our life does not save. And he he shows this no in several ways, right? He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you goes to them and says, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things necessary for the body, what good is that? So then, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What value is there in knowing someone is cold and starving and doesn't have enough and say, I hope things get better for you. 
But then you don't give them anything to help them. Does that help them? Does that make their life better? Does it benefit them in any way? No, it doesn't. And faith without works is just as life-giving as that is helpful. It's useless in both cases, according to James. But he goes on. And then he gets harsh. Really? Oh, there it is. I can't read it from here. Uh, It says in verse, But some will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And his point, that a person who has faith without works is no better off than demons. Now, keep in mind, demons are great theologians. Right? Demons are actually very doctrinally sound. Demons know that Jesus is real. Demons know that Jesus is eternal. Demons know that Jesus was born of a virgin. Demons know that Jesus lived a sinless life. Demons know that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. The demons know that Jesus rose again. The demons know the Bible is true. And they know those things without any doubts whatsoever. The problem with demons isn't in the the doctrines that they know. It is that their unwillingness to submit to the author of that truth. A person who affirms right doctrine. But that right doctrine has no impact on how they live their lives. Is no better off than a demon. Those with faith without works have chosen a foundation for truth other than scripture. And they are deceived. The light that is in them is darkness. That makes the darkness very deep. It makes it difficult for them to ever really come to know the truth. What we choose is the foundation of truth in our lives. It is eternally important. For it will determine our connection to Jesus, our devotion to Jesus, And even our salvation in Jesus. Now each one of us today has made choices in our lives that have determined the level of devotion that we have to Jesus. What choices have you made? What does your life say is your treasure? What does your life say is your foundation of truth? And there's no going back and undoing the choices of the past that have brought us to wherever we are today. All there is, is recognizing that in the past, we chose the wrong treasure. In the past, we chose the wrong foundation. And that as of today, right now, I'm going to switch. I'm going to change. I'm going to surrender my life to Christ. While we cannot undo the choices of the past, we can turn to Jesus. We can confess those as sin. We can be forgiven. And we can make new choices for the present and the future that will determine our devotion to Jesus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes in this time. To consistently treasure the things of heaven consistently keep Scripture as the foundation of our lives, it requires us to surrender 
our lives to the Lordship of Jesus. Submitting to the Lordship of Jesus, it is accepting that He is Lord and saying that whatever He says, that's right, that's true, that's what I'll think, that's what I'll believe, that's what I'll say, that's what I'll do, that's how I'll react. To submit to His Lordship over every area of our lives. It's an essential. There is no way to consistently choose the right treasure or the right foundation without surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ over all things in our lives. So this morning in this time of response, I want you to just ask yourself, is Jesus Lord? And if He is not Lord over your life right now, you need to surrender to that. You need to call upon Him. You need To not waste another minute living outside of His will and His rule and reign over your life. I I, I don't know what you may have chosen as your treasure that's not Jesus. I don't know what you may have chosen as the foundation of your life that's not Scripture. But I will promise you this. Those choices are going to over promise and under deliver. They're going to promise pleasure and joy and freedom. And what it's going to eventually deliver to you. is misery and pain and death. Do not be deceived by false treasures. False foundations. Turn to Jesus and live. Let's spend some time praying this morning.